It seems odd for a student of the Bible to read a story about a Pharisee trying to help Jesus avoid capture and perhaps death. I mean, aren't the Pharisees the ones who are out to get Jesus? Aren't they the ones who are the the nemesis behind every corner trying to trap him? And here we are helping them to avoid Herod's conspiracy to capture Jesus. And so people who read the Gospels, who are familiar with this group called the Pharisees, find a little bit of shock. What are these people all about? But of course, talking about the Pharisees is very difficult, isn't it? Because any, any group can't be reflected in any type of stereotype. It'd be like talking about all Republicans or all Democrats and suggesting that just because one is a part of a party, they're all the same. Not all Republicans are greedy captives of corporate America out to uh, keep the poor down. Not all Democrats are, um, you know, pinko socialists ready to redistribute wealth or whatever else you might say about them. Not, not all of any sort, sort of group is reflected by the stereotype. And so it's the case with the Pharisees in this case. We have these unnamed Pharisees who are actually helping Jesus to avoid Herod's capture. He's after you. He's out to get you, they tell him. They warn him, you, you perhaps will want to get out of town. You know, the Pharisees, in a lot of ways, were perhaps the group closest to Jesus. There were a lot of other options for how to live out a Jewish life in his day. There were the Sadducees. They were the, the wealthy kind of aristocratic people. They, they, um, they had control of the temple. They were, they were uh, the wealthy folk of, of Israel who were Jewish, and they decided that their best bet lie with um, kind of making up to the Romans. And the Romans allowed them to control the temple, and with it the temple treasury, and therefore they were kind of uh, very content to live in connection with the Romans. Uh, there were another group called the Sicarii. They were a group of assassins who lived, they were, they were kind of ready to start a guerrilla warfare. They were, um, they were ancient Israel's version of Al-Qaeda. Start a war. Assassinate uh, Roman soldiers, especially captains, uh, high-ranking officials. See if you can provoke a war with Rome. And once war breaks out, you never know how it might end. They were doing this for God and country. And the Pharisees didn't go along with that group. They didn't even go along with a group called the Essenes who thought that holiness meant that you had to get out of the community, go live in a little cloistered community, a, a, a communal living sort of thing, uh, where men and women and children lived together, but it was, it was those people who would live by a rule of life. They had this, this high standard of piety. Go move out into the desert, perhaps a, a community that you're familiar with, Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. This was their library in their, their kind of convent home out away from society. And the Pharisees didn't buy into that either. They had a philosophy that kind of would have been something like this. Be in the world, but not of it. The Pharisees would have made very good church people. Most of us probably would have liked them quite well. And it's no surprise then that maybe you find one or two who so agrees with Jesus that they kind of they side with him against Herod. Because Herod is not a good fellow. He's not well liked among pious Jews of his day. He's, um, he's kind of mean and nasty and cruel. And, and they're not too fond of him at all. In fact, you perhaps know the story. He divorces his wife to marry his brother's widow. And when John the Baptist tells him that he's immoral for doing so, 
um, he has John the Baptist beheaded. And he gives the head of John the Baptist to his stepdaughter as a gift. I mean, who gives gifts like that, you know? Could you imagine the Christmas morning? You're opening up their present. Oh, well, thank you. It's what I've always wanted. You know, this is the kind of cruel person that he is. Um, and so whatever, whatever the distinction between Jesus and the Pharisees, this much is true. They are much closer to him than they are to Herod. Which begs the question, why didn't Jesus take this threat seriously? And this man killed his cousin. Imagine you get the word, the governor's after you. He's not just going to have you arrested, he's going to have you killed. Now, maybe the governor's done this in the past. And so you know there's some history of that. What would you do if you got that message? I'll tell you what you would do. You would run, right? You would flee. You would get out of there. That's what we do when we're frightened. I'm watching for the second time. I know. I'm pathetic, and um, you just tell me later how pathetic I am. But I'm watching for the second time Zombieland the other night. Okay? A, a zombie movie. And they're horrible. Don't watch it. I'm not, I'm not endorsing it. I am, but I'm not. Okay, so I'm watching this film, and I know that this girl's going to turn into a zombie. And I know she's going to chase the guy in the house, and he's going to try to fight to get away. I know this. I've already seen the film. But I'm still squirming, trying to get away as she's coming after him and trying to bite him. Uh, it's, it's our reflex, isn't it? When, when you're frightened, what do you do? You try to get away. It, it's the feeling you get when you look in the rearview mirror and you've been listening to your radio so loud that you haven't noticed that there are these red and blue flashing lights behind you. You know that feeling, right? It's kind of like the feeling you get when you go to the mailbox and you pull out an envelope and the return address says Internal Revenue Service. And it's, you know, it's in the middle of uh, June and you're thinking, oh no, what have I done? Or, or that feeling you get when you're in, uh, sound asleep at 2.30 in the morning and the phone rings and terror. You know that feeling. And Jesus hears this message. Herod wants to kill you. And I think that we want to save Jesus. We want to make him, you know, we got the halo on him. We got the power and, and the wings and maybe the sword. And, and we think that he's somehow not human. That he doesn't hear this the same way that you would hear it. When we're afraid, our bodies are so designed to usually do one of two things. The first one is called flight. We want to flee, get away from there. We want, we want to run and get as far as we can. When a child hears a bump in the night, what do they do? They jump out of bed and they run. They run and find their parents. Guess what? There's a monster in there. You should see it. It's huge. You know, I'm a monster killer at my house, and so I go and slay those monsters all the time. Or when we hear a crash of thunder, you know, we, we, we put our hand up over our head. Are you really going to stop a bolt of lightning with your hand? But you know, don't you? You know that when you're afraid, you want to flee. You want to get away. You want to protect yourself. It's the most common response to fear. Well, Jesus doesn't flee, does he? Which means he maybe is going to go with the second option, which is to fight. It's either flight or fight. That's usually the way we handle fear. It's either run and get away or dig in your heels and, and take on that grizzly bear. I don't know. Whatever it is, we're going to, we're going to do what we can. But I kind of think if I was Jesus, I would have said, you know, hey guys, thanks for the warning. Love the curls and the hat. It's a good look for you. Um, I'll be at Starbucks in Bethlehem. You know, I'm getting out of this area, fourth and high. If anybody needs, that's not what he does though, does he? 
He actually, he actually says, here's my itinerary. Tell Herod, I've got plans. I'll be here today and tomorrow, maybe the next, and then I'm moving on. He doesn't run. He actually announces his plans. And it gets a little better. It's, it's a little more delicious. He calls Herod, you fox. Tell that fox Herod that I'm going to be here today and tomorrow, maybe the next. The only time I've ever seen in the Gospels where Jesus calls someone a name and it's a government official. I mean, doesn't that look sweet? You're going to be savoring this all week. Trust me, you will. I'm driving in the car the other day with my son, Dietrich, and, and just he and I were going out to dinner together. And, and um, he says to me, Dad, why does everybody hate the president? Well, I thought he was talking about the president of the university, which I was really thinking, oh, no, how am I going to explain you know, university politics to him? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, everybody hates uh, President Obama. I said, oh, you mean the president of the country? Yeah. He said, why does everybody hate him? I said, I don't think everybody hates him. Oh, you should hear at school. Everybody hates him. I said, oh, okay. Well, um, I don't know that everyone does, but it's kind of like this, you know. Everyone hated the last president, too. Do you remember that? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I said, and you weren't around, but everybody hated the president before him, too. And he said, oh, really? Yeah. He said, so it's kind of like an American tradition to hate your president. Yeah, it's kind of what we do, I guess. I said, but don't worry. We come back and like them later, you know, when they're all gone and, you know, then, then they become heroes. It's what we do, isn't it? We, we hate the guy. And so maybe Jesus, right here, you have a little, a little sanctioned, um, uh, you know, angst against your, your president. No, that's not what he's doing. It's not what he's doing at all. So scratch that. You can't go doing that. Here's what he's doing. He's saying Herod is a fox. And he doesn't mean that he's particularly attractive for those of you who grew up in the 70s. He's saying rather that Herod is kind of like a rat. He's kind of like a, a vermin. He, you know, he, he, he kind of can cause some problems and make you fearful. But he's really nothing to be afraid of. He can make you squirm and squeam. But there's nothing to be afraid of. In fact, Jesus says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's my destination. Herod's not going to do anything to me while I'm in Galilee. That's why I can announce, I can announce my itinerary here. That's why I'm not fleeing or running away from him, nor am I digging in my heels to fight him. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. But that adds to me one more problem. Why go to Jerusalem? If you know what's waiting for you in Jerusalem, why do you go there? Nobody buys destinations to the cross, do they? Next time you go and think about a family vacation, you're not going to look through the pages and say, oh, where's the pain and the humiliation? And um, I want to go someplace where they're going to hate me and not welcome me. Nobody does that, do they? Nobody does that. Why is Jesus going there? Why is he heading to Jerusalem? He's going there for you. And for me, he doesn't flee, nor does he fight. He doesn't shrink from his responsibility, but he heads to Jerusalem. And he cries out to her, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do you hear the pathos in that statement? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered your children as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
It's kind of like the Hebraic uh, phrase for, for, uh, for, for deep pain. David, you'll remember his son Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Had I died instead of you, David says. Jesus in that same, that same emotion, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh the people of God, how I would that you would have received me. He goes to Jerusalem. He doesn't flee from it because there's no other way under heaven for which we can be saved. We need Him to go to Jerusalem. We need Him to face this cruel cross. But I think there's another way also to look at this passage. There's just a bit more that we can mine if you'll bear with me for a moment. I think it's also an example to us. To those of us who would follow Christ. To those of us who would walk in His steps. He doesn't flee nor does He fight. He goes straight headlong into His own death. And He says something very curious just a couple pages back if you were to look sometime. In chapter 9 He says this, if anyone wants to follow me, let them do this. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever will lose their life, whoever will lay it down for my sake, will save it. He goes to Jerusalem to show us the way. This is the way that the disciples of Jesus, this is the way that we have to walk. William Barclay tells the story of, of Hugh Latimer. Hugh Latimer was the chaplain to the King of England in the 16th century. King Henry VIII was his, um, was his main congregate. And so Hugh Latimer, here he is, this, this Anglican reformer, preaching to the king. Now, I don't know what it's like to preach to royalty. You all are pretty close. But I don't know what it's like to preach in a royal setting. I'm guessing that... Um, that it might be a little touch and go from time to time, don't you? I mean, there's some times where the kings may be lopping off some heads and um, the gospel kind of conflicts with that just a little bit. And so you have to be really careful about how you preach. And, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm guessing that maybe Latimer ran into an occasion like that here or there. In fact, Barclay says he does. He says one time he was preaching on, on a sort of squeamish topic and Latimer voices for the congregation what everyone's feeling. He says from the pulpit, Latimer, 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 be careful what you say. The King of England is here today. And then he paused for a moment, and he said, Latimer, 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 be careful what you say. The King of Kings is here today. It might be that the Lord calls us to walk down a road that's fearful, that we want to reject and run, or we want to dig in our heels and fight. And He says, no, I want you to do neither. I want you to lay down your life for Me. Hugh Latimer and two others were executed by being burned at the stake by Henry's daughter Mary in Oxford, England. His last words to his friend Nicholas Ridley were, Be of good comfort, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall light this day a candle in England that shall never burn out. Christ calls us to follow. And sometimes that means we lay down our life 
for the sake of others. Amen.